Welcome to the Word from the Ancient Path, Stories and Sermons for the Journey, a channel of blessing and encouragement for friends all over the world to hear and experience how God speaks and works through ordinary people with an extraordinary calling. We have stories of bringing good news, connecting in Christ, and building the kingdom. And we have the Word of God declared through the pastors and missionaries of Ancient Path Ministries, La Iglesia Volviendo a la Senda Antigua. I'm your guide, Pastor Kevin Job. I'm very happy to be with you. Our ministry was founded by Pastors Jose Santiago and Yamile Cruz in Jovellanos, Cuba. And my wife, Tani, and I serve as chief connection makers in the United States. Our team of pastors, missionaries, advisors, and kingdom servants is dedicated to planting churches and spreading the reach of the gospel. And so we pray that you are blessed and inspired by these sermons and reflections and the testimony of what God has done and is doing in and through us. Hey friends, uh, today's episode started out as a blog post during the awful realities of 2020. You know, the big shutdown and all of that disagreement that it seemed to unleash. And I guess actually the disagreement wasn't new, but the obligatory physical isolation brought the separation of ideas and thoughts to the surface with some remarkable force. I was struggling then and I still struggle somewhat with those who work so hard to keep us divided. I mean, we can see how this has played itself out in a general sense with little agreement as to where the blame lies for this. But, but what I wrestle with is not so much what the non-believing world has to say, but how their ideologies have infiltrated the body of Christ. So today I want to talk to you, church, capital C, church, to my faith family. I want to, I want to talk to those of us who consider ourselves to be Christians, believers in and growing as disciples of Jesus Christ, people who claim God as our Father and the infilling of the Holy Spirit to give us access to the mind and the strength and the heart of God. Today's program is for us. It's a crazy world out there, there's no question, and it's hard to maneuver when everything you might think, do, or say is suspect to someone, and usually to a whole group of someone. This week, as the United States casts votes in an important mid-presidential term election, the divisive rhetoric seems to be at an all-time high, and, and maybe there was always this much division to go around, but never before have we had the tools at our disposal to spread so much of it. In the news and social media, for example, I read, I read about someone who shot his neighbor last week because he believed that the neighbor belonged to a different political party. I read conspiracy theories from both major parties about fixed or rigged elections. I read friends' posts that openly declare that if I didn't vote as they did, that I was against everything democratic, true, loving, ethical, moral, and godly. Contested elections, clashing ideologies, casting doubts on all intentions but our own. This is all stuff I expect among those people in the world whose hope for the present, the immediate future, and for eternity, when, whose hope is not rooted in the Creator God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing, church, we seem to be as mired in this st stuff not to use the word I used last week, we seem to be as mired in this stuff as non-believers, giving ourselves over to secular political movements and often attempting to claim the banner of Jesus to justify our actions and our inflamed rhetoric as we're doing so. But brothers and sisters in Christ, our calling is to something way beyond all of this. Listen here for a minute to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in the letter to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, starting at verse 1. He writes, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. 
be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. <laughs> as the book of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. Paul had to remind the church 2,000 years ago so that they wouldn't forget the unity that we've been called to. So considering all the bickering and division twirling around, I'm reminded of several things about my own and admittedly narrow life experience. So allow me to share a few remembrances. It was a generation ago, it was January of 1998, when my class returned from a particularly awful school assembly. It was my third year as a teacher in a district that saw itself as diverse, which was a big keyword in those days, being in reality largely two ethnicities, black, which my African-American students counsel me to call them, about 64%, and white, about 34%, with a few Spanish-speaking or occasionally uh, Asian households thrown into mix. Asian, by the way, is that American catch-all term for the billions of people with roots in the Eastern Hemisphere. That school district was also in a community that was on the back end of a shift in economic demographics from middle-class suburbia to a more pseudo-urban working-class poverty it was a fascinating thing to be a part of all of that. But anyway, the assembly. If memory serves correct, it was one of the last of these gatherings. You see, to be crowned king or queen of Winterfest, speech-making was required, which was not easy in our setting. The high school had been constructed without a decent space to gather for oration or orderly debate, and so we were confined to a cavernous gymnasium with the worst sound system ever. I mean, really, the worst. So a thousand plus teens are all jammed in there and they're straining to hear what's going on over echo and chatter and laughter and heckling. And those who did lean in to listen were treated to predictably impassioned declarations about safe sex, sport and helmet, changing school rules, lunch menus they didn't like, hall passes, restroom policies, etc. But amid the cacophony, there was also more than one royalty candidate who came to the microphone with something different speaking very seriously and in clearly divisive terms about race and just how blame and penalty ought to be distributed. Now, as it turned out, the ugly speech-making was just the start of what was going to happen that day. My, my students came back to my small classroom, and they just kind of sat there, quietly stunned. And when someone finally spoke, she simply said, Mr. Job, when did they teach us to hate each other? And then came the tears, and not just her, the entire class, because everyone in that classroom, they, all of them, felt the weight of the truth in her question. And then these wise young men and women of a striking variety of pigmentation explained to me how they had played in each other's houses and yards and gone to class together ever since they could remember, and that they had loved each other. I mean, they knew that their skin tones were different, but that was not for a second what they saw first. Their primary focus was on commonality. But somewhere along the line, adults whom they trusted had coached these children not only to see their differences first, but to search for and divide over them. My kids, as I still call them all, were devastated at the reckoning of that moment, and my life changed as well. I became the learner, 
And they were fantastic teachers. For another 12 years, the students and families with whom I worked and lived continually blessed and trusted me with the struggles and the joys in their lives. My office, my classroom, home, church, all those places became ours together. And kids of all hues and all backgrounds called me dad or pops or something of similar honor. Even students who didn't know me would come to my office for prayer or spiritual counsel. Job time, as it was called, became a daily lunch experience for some of them. And they would come just working out whatever struggle for identity comes with growing up. And somehow they trusted that wherever I was, that space was safe for them. I was humbled when I remember that. I was included in family and cultural traditions too. I mean, Chitlins is never going to be my thing, just, just saying it. And also in worship experiences. I was part of weddings and funerals for students and families, invited by the grace of God and their trust and affection for me to share in the greatest joys and deepest sorrows of life. I remember when one of our stalwart teachers approached me after a baccalaureate service in which I had directed people to lay hands on our grads for prayer, and she said to me, Mr. Jove, you look like a white man, but you're a brother. Hmm. After becoming a pastor, I got invited to preach in churches where I was the only man of my skin tone in the whole place. Friend, I need to tell you, there is no greater honor than to be graced a seat at a family table when you could not possibly have earned it. And when questions that could have divided us arose, the commonality of bearing the name of Jesus won the day. Every time, we all knew the calling. We're going to take a moment now for a short break. Stay with us for more on the Ancient Path. At Ancient Path Ministries, we hope to carry the light of the kingdom of God into places where it is most needed, to see people set free from what holds them captive. Now, our ministry is built on connections in Christ, and our financial foundation depends on the regular partnership of beloved friends such as you. If you would like to be a covenant financial partner or just simply contribute to the work of the ministry, visit our website at ancientpathministries.org. Check out the church in action and see how you can be a part of bringing good news, connecting in Christ, and building the kingdom. And we're back. We've been discussing the unity of the Spirit, which is essential in the church and possible in places you might not expect it to be. As I said, that moment in 1998 changed me. I was humble, but I was also inspired. And, and not long after, I was able to introduce a new class, a, a, a unique 20th century American social, cultural, and fine arts course in which we dove fearlessly into an amazing array of subject matter with frank and respectful, although sometimes difficult, discussion, and all of us learned a ton. And in 2010, when my family followed God's call to work with people of every nation, tribe, and language in full-time church ministry, we were prepared for it in large part because of what my students and families and colleagues had contributed. Teaching in the Mount Healthy City Schools for 15 years was one of the greatest learning experiences and most profound blessings of my life. And I owe these people a great debt. But a generation has passed since that moment of reckoning after the assembly at Winterfest. And more than a decade's gone by since those intense discussions pushed us to look for how we could be united even when our experience or our creed or our perspectives varied. And now... I am regularly told by those who have an investment in keeping people divided that I am, or my wife, or my children, part of the problem. That the evidence of my life isn't enough if I won't bend to a specific action of the current narrative. That my privilege, which I clearly acknowledge, means I no longer have to get to have conversation, let alone be graced a seat at the table. 
The unity and the spirit and the bonds of peace are simply not sufficient for earthly kingdom makers and that my melanin makes me inherently at whatever level a hater of the very people I love and I have loved. On the flip side, others loudly declare to me that any sympathy I may have developed for people who have been forced into an outsider's position and thus are justifiably distrustful of anything that seems to be a surrender of identity, that any sympathy I have for that makes me, apart from any action of my own, their enemy. Friends, you can't win. In the current thought and speech-controlled climate that we, we live in, these classroom and private conversations that so blessed me, blessed us all those years ago, they'd be scandalous. The films that we viewed, the books and the articles we read together, the music that we shared to spur one another on toward love and good deeds would now be scrutinized for every potentially offensive word, every microaggression, or heaven forbid, nuance to which anyone might have a negative reaction that triggers them. I would be fired, and my face would be plastered on social media for any of that stuff, or for, God forbid, I prayed with or for or over my students or their families. And I'm serious, this is not an exaggeration. It is our current reality. It has even reached its ugly tentacles into my family. I am joyously married to a canceled woman, although ironically she is back in reruns and more popular than ever on the very same channel. I'm also sadly sitting stuck in the middle of a family that's divided over too much politicking and blaming and not enough Jesus. And I look at it all, including in the church, and I think, Father, when did they teach us to hate each other? Once again, speaking to the church, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 19, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Paul said the most scandalous things in Ephesians, and there just isn't space or time here to list the dozens of them, but, but church, you got to choose. I mean, everybody has to choose, but church, you especially. Which voice or voices will dictate how you go forward from a moment of reckoning? Will it be the voice that calls us to unity, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that we might actually be built up together? Or will we choose to follow the voices that say to us that we ought to divide so that they can conquer us? Will we choose to come together by the power of the grace of God? Or are we going to continue to use our measly frailty to point fingers at whatever group we think we're supposed to hate? Scripturally, the answer is simple. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it might benefit those who listen. This past Tuesday evening, after a hard-fought election season, a candidate in my home state, conceding the loss of his election, said this, We have too much hate. We have too much anger. There's way too much fear. There's way too much division. And we need more love. We need more compassion. We need more concern for each other. There's important things. We need forgiveness. We need grace. We need reconciliation. And we do have to leave the age of stupidity behind us. Okay, it's always easy to doubt the sincerity of a politician. I'm an expert at it. The hard thing to do, though, is to look for the truth in what someone says regardless of our doubts. This man was given a platform to speak, and in a moment of bitterness and defeat, he had the chance to choose how he would use his voice. And he chose some words that ought to speak directly into the heart of the American church right now. If you're listening, it's quite likely that you are the American church, or at least a part of it. 
And you do have a voice in your faith community and beyond. So how are you going to use it? Are you going to look for words that build up or tear apart? I want to encourage you to weigh what you say and the direction in which you fire your verbal weaponry because the stakes are higher than you might think. Whatever you choose to do, you'd be wise to consider a scandalous truth. Someone who doesn't have a hashtag has a stake in our division, and it's likely the highest stake. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, so stop it. Christian, cut it out with a device of attitudes and rhetoric. Stop making people out to be Satan. Satan is counting on your mouth and your social media posting to get out of hand and play into the divisiveness of the age. So choose your voice carefully. Choose truth infused to overflowing with grace. Choose forgiveness. And if you can't choose these things, I beg you, choose silence. Shut up. Okay. This has rambled on far too long by now. And so if you got this far, I thank you for sticking with me. I pray for the strength to continue to choose love as best I can. To choose to allow the Holy Spirit to speak the kingdom of God into and through my life and my household and whatever sphere of influence I might have. I'm going to choose, despite everyone's best efforts, to not be offended or to purposely offend during this season when one with a stake in our division is working so effectively to confuse and pit us against each other. May God convince each and all of us of our place by a grace we have not earned. May he convince us of our place at his table together with our array of backgrounds and shades and languages and thoughts and aspirations. May we be convinced that we can come to his table together as a single and much beloved family in Christ Jesus, a family that bears the very image of our creator. This brings us to the end of our time for today. Thank you so much for being with us. Join us next time as we continue to explore the word of God and the witness of his people. And again, be sure to check out our webpage, ancientpathministries.org. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ancient Path Ministries. Until next time, we pray God blesses you richly. Go and be the church.